Sports FM Podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Pastor Dave Bryan from the Church of Glad Tidings. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And it's Friday, May 12th, at the end of the week in the year 2023, which is awesome. It's been a good week, an interesting week, and obviously a week filled with crazy which is pretty normal these days because we're dealing literally with the invasion of the United States at the southern border. So I've got a couple things before we get going tonight. One, Sunday night, I'm going to be doing this extra show. It'll be an hour before our Peace Be Still show, and it's going to be focused strictly on the border issues. I have a number of friends that are down there working, and I'm getting a lot of good feedback. I'm going to assemble all that to be a pretty good informational story that you'll be able to get a good context of the, what the real things are going down at the border. So that'll begin at uh, 7. I guess our normal show is 9, so that show will be at 8, and then we'll do the 9 o'clock show. Also, Bards Fest. Tonight's show is going to feather into that because Pastor Dave Bryan is the pastor at the Church of Glad Tidings. Great pastor, good friend, really respect this man immensely. And they are the host of Bards Fest. And we'll have many more updates to come in the days ahead of Bars Fest, but your tickets are on sale now. We're starting to see a pretty good movement towards people coming to Bars Fest. I'm excited about it. And it's it's not going to be, I don't think we're going to end up with a massive crowd, but I do think we're going to end up with the people whose hearts are in the right place. At least I know that. And that's what's going to be most important as we really anchor in onto the purpose of this, of these Bards assemblies, if you will, which is literally awakening the warrior heart within the people as I said, convening the war councils, which is our new tagline for this particular event. Patriots, one thing that's very clear right now is that we are dealing with a level of insanity unlike anything we have ever seen. Risk is high. Our towns are becoming unstable. Our government is collapsing. And so you have to make sure that you've got a good plan in your home to make a defense plan for your home and your family. Patriots, right now, many Americans are feeling powerless. The economy isn't stable, crime continues to plague our communities, and those in charge don't seem to even care. There's something empowering about knowing that you have the skills to defend yourself, and that's why I endorse iTarget Pro. This revolutionary system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm anytime in the safety and privacy of your home. No more inconvenient trips to the range, and you still have a ton of practice ammo. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into your firearm, and start your training experience. Improve muscle memory, increase reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and more. iTarget Pro comes in all the major calibers, including 223, so that you can stay sharp with almost any firearm. Save 10% plus get free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to iTargetPro.com right now. Again. 10% using your promo code BARDS plus free shipping when you go to itargetpro.com. 
Don't rely on the government to make you feel safe. Empower yourself with iTarget Pro. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com. Offer code is BARDS. Well, Patriots, I'll tell you, the one thing that's consistent in all of this is that American Patriots, the core of them, is starting to wake up. And I think that's really the value of everything we need to focus on. There was a post today um, by Apolitical, and I think this sums it up very well. Our job is not to wake up the normies. Our job is to wake up the revolutionary 10% who are capable of actually changing things. Normies, by definition, will always just go along with whatever is normal. We lived in Nash- If we lived in the National Socialist Germany, Germany, normies would be good national socialists. If we lived in communist USSR, they would be good party members. These people have no revolutionary potential. Our message should be aimed at the talented 10%, and once we win, all the normies will do what they always do and come along with us. I think that's dead on, and that's literally the focus of what we're all doing now. We have to be focused on strengthening and building the ranks of what we're calling the remnant of Bard's nation, of so many others out here. We just have too many people that are walking around like sheep, and they're not going to wake up. And I don't think they ever will, because it's just not within their nature to ask the hard questions, to look at the hard facts to challenge the way they think because comfort and convenience defines a lot of the matrix in which they live in. I said this last night on the interview with Todd Callender, and I'm very, very on, I mean, I'm very much stressing this point, And that is we are not living in a political environment. We are living in a cult and we're under the umbrella of a cult. And that's the problem. So much of what we're challenged with right now is the cult thinking. And cults take on many forms. Cults can take on the form of a church. Cults can take on the form of, especially if it's a Satan church, cults can take on the form of a political party. Cults can take on the form of, say, like MAGA, who worships Trump. I don't, and there's no, there's no fingers being pointed here, but the problem is people are so conditioned by the cult thinking that instead of turning their eyes to God, they turn their eyes to manly guru leaders. It will lead them to the great destiny that they seek, whatever that is. I have no idea. In other news of, of great excitement, you should be thrilled. Elon Musk has announced that he's going to or has hired a new CEO. And that new CEO is none other than, here it comes, Patriots. It's none other than Linda, I'm going to call her Linda Yak. I don't know if that's right. Linda Yakarino. What a name. Linda Yakarino. She's a she is straight out of MSNBC. She's a WEF supporter. She is a transgender and uh, purple, red, white, or, or rainbow flag lover. She is a woke pusher, and she's already promised to use Twitter as to modify Twitter to improve advertising by creating woke agendas that the ESG score will be beneficial for. The explosion on Twitter today was great. The uh, Elon Musk has tried to assure everybody it's going to be okay. It won't. I've told you all along not to trust in him. He's part of the, this great hand puppetry that's going on. And we're going to see a lot of this, okay, because of what we're dealing with here right now, we are not seeing a country that is aligning with God. We're seeing a country, again, in the cult mentality that is aligning with the institutions of men and slash women. And that's really our whole problem. 
And that's something we have to keep a constant vigilance on and what we're going to do. Now, one other thing before we get started tonight, make sure you are keeping up your stockpiles in food. This is a real issue. Food is a weapon system, and they're using it constantly. And they're trying to whittle this down. They're putting pressure on the immigration to bring people in that are literally starving. They're, they're destroying our food distribution systems. They're trying to force everybody into these 15-minute cities and you know the food that you get to eat that's grown with the bugs and you get to eat the bugs. But we have to always make sure that we have a good plan for rationing or rations for food. And part of that is to have long-term food on the shelf for 30 to 90 days, preferably 90. And the best place to get that is My Patriot Supply. Patriots. With all the danger out there in today's world, many Americans are concerned about the very real possibility of prolonged food shortages. That's why I urge everyone to secure a supply of long-term emergency food while you still can. And I highly recommend you choose My Patriot Supply as your supplier. They're the nation's largest preparedness company. And right now, they're offering a special deal when you buy their three-month emergency food kit, which lasts up to 25 years in storage. With each kit you order, you'll receive a bonus package of crucial survival gear worth over $200 for free. The three-month emergency food kit guarantees your family will have peace of mind during a disaster, and the survival gear will help you be even more prepared. The kit includes breakfast, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks with over 2,000 calories a day. Best of all, this food is tasty. Your whole family will love it. To get your emergency food and your free survival gear worth over $200, go to preparewithbards.com. Preparewithbards.com. Patriots, there's no time to waste. No, there isn't. No time to waste at all. So, Patriots, I'm very honored tonight to bring you Pastor Dave Bryan and give you a little background. When I was doing my trip last fall around the country, which was about six weeks delivering Bibles as God led, one of the great, I'll tell you, the, there was a couple of cool experiences in that. Many of them were all good engagements. One of them was presenting a Bible to Ted Nugent, which was epic and fantastic and extremely well received at his home for a great dinner of something that he had managed to kill because <laughs> Ted's always hunting. Uh, another great moment was meeting up with Myron, the vice president of the Navajo Nation, and spending half a day with him and his wife, and then ultimately making a, a praying together in front of Circle Rock or the Window Rock, which is their sacred place. And then on the way back, God led me to, to go and see Pastor Dave Bryan before I was already been invited to come down and speak at the men's camp. And I drove into the Church of Glad Tidings, had never been there before, and he met me in the parking lot. And it was like two old friends meeting, and it was fantastic. And from there, I've been spending, I spent quite a bit of time. I could drive down there, as you know, to be part of the church, worship with them. He's given me the, the honor of being able to pastor twice at his satellite church up at Grass Valley. It's a great church. And it was there, as I told you the other night on the show, that I had a very powerful vision of the captain of the Lord's, Lord of Hosts Army and where the revival of this nation would begin, which would be on the West Coast, from Glad Tidings to Portland, which is very interesting. And so with that, Pastor Dave had invited me to bring a Bards Fest there. And that is exactly what we're doing. So tonight you get an opportunity to meet him. And let me tell you, if you're expecting a conventional pastor, um, this isn't going to be it tonight. 
I love him for all he is. He's unhinged and he's definitely on point. So without further ado, Patriots, allow me to introduce you to Pastor Dave Bryant. Well, Patriots, I'm really honored today to have Pastor Dave Bryant, who you've heard me speak about a great deal. He is a friend. He is, in in other ways, a mentor to me. He has opened my eyes to deliverance in a fantastic way. I love his church. I love the man. I love the congregation he's built. I love his vision. And I'm very honored as well to have been included in his pastoral staff and meetings and some of the events down there. And that is also where we're having Bards Fest. So what an honor to have you on today. Welcome, Dave. How are you? Hey, thank you, Scott. It's great to be here. And I just want to say we're honored to have Bards Fest open up at uh, the GT campus. And uh, just honored to be marching with you, buddy. Well, it's it's awesome. Well, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about Glad Tidings? I think that's, I've talked a lot about it, but I want people to hear hear it from you. Okay, well, probably the, the place to start, Scott, is I never intended to be a pastor. And, uh, and though I am, in many ways, I don't relate to most pastors because uh, Glad Tidings isn't really modeled after what I call the great American religious enterprise. And so, uh, you know, my story that I, I was a firm believer in God, but uh, not so much in the, the organized expression of traditional Christianity in America. And so my wife and I, Cheryl, this is uh, 34 years ago, we were headed to Australia to just get away from the whole American church scene and um, and I I had been involved in an apostolic network, so uh, I made a deal with them that uh, if they promised to never call me again, uh, I'd go down and check out this one last church for them, and just kind of do a, a troubleshooting type situation, which I'd done a number of times before. That's how I got the glad tidings. Came down here, glad tidings. If uh, anybody has seen uh, the. Uh, the Jesus people movie that's out. Um, Glad Tidings was born in the Jesus revolution. And um, so anyway, came down, found some radical people that uh, didn't have uh, anchors in religion and they needed some guidance. And I made a deal with uh, Lou Benninger, as you know, Scott, I said, well, if I come down here and lead the church, will you help me? And if it doesn't work, I'll go smoke dope with you. And uh, <laughs> so that's how desperate we both were at the time. And uh, anyway, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll come help you. And one thing led to another. They did invite me to come down. And so we started something different. We just said, let's forget about the way the West has done religion. Let's just read the red and try to follow the example of Jesus Christ, try to do what he did. And uh, like I said, I already made a deal with him. If it didn't work, I'd go smoke dope with him. So I was pretty <laughs> motivated and he'd smoked everything a person can smoke. So he wasn't really wanting to go back to that lifestyle. So we we just adopted a motto, find a need and meet it, find a hurt and heal it. And we followed that for 34 years. And that has really guided us well, Scott. We just find uh, human needs in the area. And then we think, okay, what would it look like if the, the love, the mercy, the wisdom, the grace of God touched this area? What would that look like? And then we try to do that. 
And so uh, it's been actually fulfilling. Of course, you've been to the campus a number of times, and we we have so many outreach ministries, I, I can't keep track of them all. But all of those came from that one ministry model, find a need and meet it. And of course, recently, the need in America has been courage to face this COVID con and all the deception and the manipulation and the intimidation. So when most of the churches in America shut down in the last three years over the COVID con, uh, boy, we just came into our own. It was, it was wonderful uh, times for us. And we never shut down a day. We actually, when the governor told us the churches had to shut down because they were non-essential, we just advertised that we'd be open uh, 24-7. We weren't going to shut down at all. And uh, we every night we, we did prayer meetings for quite a while. And we, we, just, uh, we just kept it open. And uh, because of that, everybody that was a, a, a good uh, patriot Christian, if they wanted to have a forum, they came to us because we're, we're one of the only churches on the in the Pacific West Coast, you know, that was operating. So, boy, we, we got Dinesh D'Souza and Candace Owens and uh, General Flynn and uh, just a bunch of people uh, that uh, came and did uh, meetings. You know, we did lots of conferences, COVID-Con 1 and 2 and the American Patriot uh, Rally. And, and and so we became a, a Pacific Northwest Conference Center. And uh, just uh, the last three years have been busy, busy, busy. And so far, uh, we're just going into May. Uh, let's see. Um, your Bards Fest will be the fifth conference we've done in, in six months. So we've been pretty busy. But anyway, uh, in addition to, you know, all that kind of stuff, we're, we're focusing on food sovereignty and um, uh, Light of Life, a wellness center. All those things come out of that motto, find a need and meet it. And so those are some of the needs. Of course, you and I, have, uh, uh, we've collaborated a lot on those kinds of things. But uh, that's a little bit about the campus and what makes us us. Well, let's talk a little bit. I want to go back a little bit because the story of Lou Banninger, there's People don't have context for your statement about smoke dope or get it going because that sounds very California to people, but they don't understand that story of Lou. So why don't you give that a little bit? Because it's a great story. It is a great story. So, um, again, <laughs> you want the whole story? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, so uh, so I had told this religious group that eventually kicked me out, but I, I was still uh, connected with them. And I, I told them I'd troubleshoot this one more church. Uh, but when I came down here uh, talking to people, uh, I would I would always do the same thing. I'd introduce myself, say, how long you've been at the church? Uh, what brought you here? What are the things you liked? Uh, what are the things you think need improved? Well, in the category, what do you think, what do you, are the things that you liked about the church uh, over and over and over, they would mention Lou Benninger, but he wasn't at the church anymore. And I thought, wow, I I'd like to meet this guy. Uh, he, he got rave reviews. And so uh, the last guy I interviewed was uh, an attorney who was an elder in the church. 
and I went through my questions and I was making my notes and do, doing what I did troubleshooting churches. But uh, I said, well, I think that's it for me. But uh, since you're an elder here, I need to ask you who Lou Benninger is. He said, oh, Lou Benninger, he, he's uh, really uh, kind of the father of the church. He said he was uh, running a nudist colony and uh, dealing drugs out of the foothills. And he had an experience with God. He uh, uh, changed his life. And he's a strong leader. So he just said, hey, everybody put your pants on and, and uh, turn in your drugs. Um, and we're, we're going to serve God. If you don't like that, you need to find another commune because that's what we're going to do here because I'm in charge. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so it, it, our church was born out of that. It was called at the time Morningstar Ranch. It, it was just loose commune. And, um, and so they start taking people off the streets and that's what they called it as Morningstar Ranch after Jesus, the bright morning star. And uh, so anyway, the, our church grew out of that. Uh, but it had been years since the uh, Jesus revolution when I got down here. And so uh, this attorney was telling me about Lou and how he was the father of things. And the church started out of his commune. And he said, he's a really radical guy. And he just, he just got tired of no forward momentum. And, and he left. And I said, well, my advice to you is to try to get him back. He's really the, the lone, um, uh, you know, in the, in the things that need change column, it's many and sundry. But but in the things that we like column, it's Lou. So if I were you, I'd try to get him back. He said, oh, Lou's never coming back. And uh, he was telling me why. He said, oh, he's, he's hung in there and hung in there. But once he decides something, Lou's going to go for it. He's not coming back. Then he says, besides that, he stole uh, $3 million dollars. And I said, what? He said, yeah, he, he took $3 million when he left. I, I really doubt he'll be coming back. So this guy's an attorney, right? So I said, so did you prosecute him? Is he in jail? Oh, nobody wants to see Lou go to jail. And I, I said, that has got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He stole $3 million and you don't want to see him go to jail. And this attorney just serious as a heart attack. He says, well, he doesn't really think that he stole it. And I said, okay, that's dumber than the last thing that you said. I, I said, what do you mean he doesn't think he stole it? He, did he take it without permission? He said, yeah. I said, okay, that's commonly called stealing. And whatever he thinks about it, he, he needs to be held accountable for that. He said, well, you'd have to know Lou Benninger. I said, I would not have to know Lou Benninger. That's just basic uh, a lawful society. You don't steal $3 million from a church. And then people give you a free hall pass because you're a nice guy. That's not all right. So I said, do you have his phone number? He said, well, yeah, I have his phone number, but he's not going to talk to you. And I said, I bet he does. Because at that point, Scott, I was in a different column. It's like I already did my troubleshooting job. Now, th this is just for God and country. This ain't right for this guy to steal this money and get away with it. So, so I found the sheriff's phone number, wrote it down. I got Lou's phone number. And I, I went down to a restaurant and uh, I ordered a meal and I called him. And 
he, I said, you know, I'm, I'm coming to town trying to help the church. He said, oh, yeah, I heard Superman flew down here in his blue suit to try to fix everything. And I said, I don't consider myself Superman, but uh, anyway, I do try to help. I said, but let's talk about you. Uh, I said, I'd like to, I'd like you to come down here and have a talk with me. He said, no, I'm not interested. And I said, well, let me rephrase it. I said, uh, it, within the next hour tonight, you're either going to talk to me or the sheriff, whose number is right here. I got the sheriff's number and name right here. And uh, he's really quiet. And he said, they told you about the money, huh? I said, yeah, they told me about the money. So that's your choice. You can come talk to me. Uh, if you're not down here in a half hour, I'm going to call the sheriff. And, uh, you know, he he wasn't happy about that at all. But I just hung up on him. I said, uh, you got a half hour to sort it out. And he comes storming into the restaurant about 20 minutes, you know, and sat down. How dare you? You don't know me. You don't know nothing. I said, hey, I'm open. Explain to me why you stole $3 million. He said, I guess they didn't tell you that I earned all that money. And I said, no, they didn't. But that's what I want to hear. Anyway, he said, he told me his story. He said, when I made a commitment to Christ, I, I was all in. And so I said, I turned that commune into the Morningstar Ranch, and I started six businesses. And if you wanted to live in the commune, you had to work in one of the businesses. And I'd give everybody $2 spending money at the end of the week, but all the profits went into this account to change the world. He's that kind of a radical guy. And he said... That's where that $3 million came from, is the businesses I started. And I said, oh, okay, that's commendable. Kudos to you. You still can't just steal it. He says, oh, yeah, I did. And I said, well, what I mean by that is if you steal it, you may still have to go to jail. And he said, did it ever dawn on you that there were things worth going to jail over? And I thought, I, I like this guy. Because he's radical. It's like, hey, it's either right or wrong. And if I go to jail, I go to jail. It's the right thing to do. So <laughs> I thought I really liked this guy. And so I said, well, why don't you go back and help the church? He said, I'd rather go back to smoking dope than go back to that church. Well, Scott, at the time, I, I'd had it up to here with what I now call the Great American Religious Enterprise. It's like, please, man, this is um it, it's inept it's stuffy it's religious and it has nothing to do with god I, i'm I, i'm a, a believer in god i'm a follower of god but this religious system is weak at best so anyway so i really resonated with this guy and when he said i'm, I'm never going back i'd rather go back to smoking dope than go back to those meetings I said, quite out of the blue, Scott, because no one had asked me to pastor the church. They asked me to come down and troubleshoot, right? So I said, well, and by the way, I had no intentions of ever being a pastor. And we were, we were already, we'd already resigned my positions up in Washington. And we had a house waiting for us in Melbourne, Australia. And we were we were leaving. We were out of here. And out of the blue, I just blurted out, well, if I come pastor the church, will you come help me? 
and we'll just read the red and try to do what Jesus did. And if that doesn't work, I'll go smoke dope with you. And I could hardly believe I said it for a number of reasons. I, I had no I, I had no intention of pastoring, and I had no intention of smoking dope with, with this guy that I just met 20 minutes earlier. And he looked at me, and he said, are you serious? I said, well, this is the way I see it. I believe in God. The, the great, uh, the, uh, I didn't have this term, but I, I said that the organized Christian religion, I have, I'm not real fond of. But uh, if, if we try to follow Jesus and that does not work, I'm open for a whole change of lifestyle. So he said, well, uh, I'll hold you to that. I said, my friend, you, you, we don't know each other well, but you, you don't have to hold me to that. If this, if this Christian thing does not work the way it's written in the Bible, I'm up for a life change. So anyway, one thing led to another. By the time I got back to Portland with the report of wh what was needed at the church, the church had called and asked that man, uh, who's Dick Iverson, they said, would, would you ask Dave when he gets there and you talk to him, would, he ask, would you ask him if he would be willing to come down and pastor the church? So anyway, that led us uh, to Yuba City instead of to Melbourne, Australia, 34 years ago. And I connected with Lou. Of course, you've met Lou. He's still there. He he runs our community outreach. And uh, right off the bat, I said, hey, we're supposed to be fishers of men. You want to catch them or you want to clean them? He said, I definitely want to catch them. I said, okay, you bring them in and I'll, I'll try to help them serve Jesus. So we've been doing that for 34 years. And, um, and it, it's made it, the church uh, considered to be radical. Honestly, Scott, I think that's what a Christian church should look like. But it's it's as you know, it's way different than most churches. Well, it is. Because, it's pretty much it's the ecclesia model which you're building, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, that's the story. We've been doing it for 34 years. Lou's still on staff. He's still the community liaison and a, a really close friend of mine. And we're still reading the red, praying for the power. Uh, asking ourselves, you know, what are the needs of the community and how we can provide a Christ-honoring solution to every urgent need that we find. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it it live, it's alive. That's the one thing. In, in Glad Tidings, it's alive and living. And that's what's so amazing. Well, praise God for that. But as a as a testimony, Scott, to the um the integrity of the gospel. 34 years into it, I've still not had to smoke dope. <laughs> so <laughs> the gospel works if you do it right. That's the truth. Now, yeah. that leads us to another amazing story. Not too far from Glad Tidings, I think you said about two and a half hours, is where LaVey started his Church of Satan or whatever the heck that is. Yeah, and yeah. However you want to shape the story, I mean, that's a pretty amazing story because you have you have been dealing with that sort of influence in your area since his daughter that was promised to Satan came to the church, right? Yeah, yeah. And again, that that's what we were doing uh, is trying to meet urgent needs. This lady came in. We had no idea that it was Ray Ray LeVay. We, we just thought it was a street person. But anyway... My wife is, you know, Cheryl, she's very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And 
um, she she said, Dave, we're supposed to, that homeless lady, we're supposed to move her into our house. So I said, well, okay. And uh, we moved her in not knowing who she was. And uh, we, you know, we, we love people and help people. We're willing to sacrifice and trying to be as Christ-like as we could. But neither of us knew anything about deliverance. Uh, Cheryl, more than I, uh, understood just that it was supposed to be happening because her grandfather is, is, was evangelist A.A. A. Allen. And A.A. A. Allen was w famous worldwide for healing the sick and casting out demons and preaching the gospel. But I mean, uh, not a lot of people were casting out demons at the time. And so Cheryl had grown up uh, watching grandpa heal the sick and cast out demons. And she grew up in a place called Miracle Valley, which was A.A. Allen's headquarters. And so uh, she kept saying, you know, we should be doing these things. And, and you know, I, I knew in my heart we probably should be. I just didn't know how to. And so um, anyway, uh, when we first came to work here and, and I made this covenant with Lou, um, we went up to Lake Tahoe, which is a couple hours from here. And we were praying and trying to uh, sort out where to from here uh, with this, with this church. Cause we, we wanted to reformat it. We didn't want it to look like anything that came out of the Constantine model of, of Western Christianity. So, uh, you know, we, we were very sincere. I'd never been a pastor before. Uh, Lou, you know, he, he, he had no idea about anything in the gospel. He had no idea who Jesus Christ was. He just came out of the hippie movement. So we were just really sincere looking at scripture and trying to figure out, okay, how does that apply to us today? And so we had uh, gone up to Tahoe right at the beginning and, and said, okay, how are we going to do this? That's, we came up with find a need and meet it, find a hurt and heal it. And that came out of a verse that we discovered in the goodness of God, he, he showed us this verse right off the bat uh, as we were praying about how we were going to conduct ourselves. And the verse was out of Acts. It says, Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was uh, anointing with the Holy Spirit. So we said, well, uh, if, if we're going to do what Jesus did, this plainly tells you what Jesus did. He went about doing good and healing those who are oppressed the devil. So let's do that. Well, Lou and uh, I had a couple other guys w with us up there. And they said, well, how do you heal those who are oppressed of the devil? And I said, I don't know. But it says he went about doing good and healing those who are oppressed of the devil. Let's start by trying to get an A plus on doing good. And then and let's just say, God, if you, if you want us to, heal those who are oppressed of the devil teach us because we don't even know what that means well uh so we focused on that first part scott and that took us into all kind of meeting urgent needs and and helping uh the the orphan and the widow and you know um crisis pregnancies and teen runaways all that stuff we were doing that and the church really grew it grew to about 1500 and um and and then all of a sudden, God kicked in the clutch and shifted gears. And all of a sudden, the demonic stuff was in our face. I didn't know anything about it. And I told Cheryl one day, 
had a really intense demonic uh, thing that happened at um, juvenile hall. And I said, I said, Cheryl, I, I'm out of my league here. She said, well, you remember we made an agreement that we would do good. And if God wanted us to heal those who are oppressed the devil, he, that it, we were okay for him to, to show us that, to teach us that. I said, well, yeah, but he hasn't taught us that. She said, well, I, I think these things that are happening, I think we're supposed to learn how to heal those who are oppressed of the devil. So on the heels of that, we have this homeless lady move into our house. And uh, that first night during the witching hour, all hell broke loose. And I didn't even know what the witching hour was. Cheryl didn't know what it was. We, we were uh, unfamiliar with occult activity. And so now all of a sudden, at two o'clock, that's the witching hour. They, they do all kinds of rituals from midnight to two. At two o'clock, they conjure demons that they've already made league with through blood sacrifice. And they send them out to do evil things, which is why at uh, two o'clock, you know, every horror movie somewhere in the flick, you know, you see the clock strike two, right? Uh, but anyway, uh, two o'clock first night bam it was on and then the next night and the next night and uh you know finally we pieced this together and it culminated with her telling us that uh she had an assumed name which was ramona jarnigan she said my my uh my real name is ray ray levey my father's anton levey and i was conceived in a satanic ritual with a millennial indian witch uh, for the purpose of, of being one of the brides of Satan. And she had been through years of uh, satanic ritual abuse. And then uh, she'd been through the six out of the seven rituals of defilement. So uh, so that's what brought us into direct contact with Anton LaVey, because he had left the Black Victorian in San Francisco, and he came up there right side, outside of Yuba City. There's a little place called Grass Valley, we have an outreach church there, but it's about, you've been there, Scott, you've preached there, but in Grass Valley, that's where they set up the satanic ranch that was out of the limelight of, uh, you know, the popularity of the Black Victorian and and Hotel California made that famous. Everybody wanted to come see it. And so, of course, they do a lot of blood rituals and human sacrifices and, and terrible things. And, and, and so, uh, they they kind of made a museum out of the Black Victorian, and then they moved up to Grass Valley, uh, where they had a big. Uh, uh, they called it the ranch, but it was uh, eighty acres of um, wilderness and and um, oak groves and stuff, and so that's where they did all their nefarious deeds, uh, out away from prying eyes. So anyway. Um, that put them right in our backyard. And so that led us up to the uh, the confrontation with Anton uh, that's been going around the internet. Um, it's um, uh, a guy named Sid Roth did an interview with us. And uh, so that video, it's, it's seen millions of hits. But anyway, uh, it's the story of how when we found out uh, who Ray Ray was, then it brought us into conflict with Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan, which led up to Halloween 
of 1997, and uh, Anton died um, uh, the evening of Halloween Eve of 1997. And uh, there's a book that I wrote about that i think you've read read that scott but it's called the serpent the savior and tells the story of what happened and how he died but that really uh the 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 learning curve was straight up scott it was like every night it, it, it was wild and of course we were on the internet trying to sleuth things out and trying to jibe our experiences with anything that we could learn about occult level deliverance so anyway, she lived with us for 10 and a half months. And then we ran a newspaper ad, the full page. And it was called What's Up With Wicca. We told about uh, Anton LaVey's death and the, that he was the worldwide head of Wicca because everybody thinks Wicca is white witchcraft and, and it's okay. But it's just a recruiting ground for Luciferian Satanism. And so I, I wrote this big expose, told him, all about it. And I I ended that as a full page in our newspaper. I ended it saying, if you have any uh, problems with evil spirits, demons, uh, night terrors, uh, come to the Church of Glad Tidings and we'll help you. Well, wow. Uh, they, they came from covens. They came from cannibal cults and weird cults and vampire cults and, and uh, witchcraft, Satanism. And they came just out of the warp and wolf of society, people saying, I, I think I got a demonic problem. My church doesn't even believe in it. And so that really defined us. And still, um, you know, all these years later, uh, I do lots and lots of teaching throughout the world on spiritual warfare and deliverance. I've, I've done deliverance. Uh, I've, I've practiced it. I've done exorcisms and also uh, taught in um most of the continents, many, many different nations, and, and still do it. Uh, well, I haven't done it since the night before last, but still do it quite a bit. So uh, I, I actually did. I did it last night, too. <laughs> but anyway. You talk a lot. I mean, I've been blessed to have been at the at two of your conferences, uh, Isaiah 61. And yeah. you've talked there about the experiences you have overseas, the difference in the way Christianity lives and thrives in the continents like Africa and say some of the islands and other places versus what we've seen here, which has been a very choked down, which you call the American religious enterprise. Talk a little yeah. bit about that because it's, it's so inspiring when we start to hear the stories of the living, breathing Christ within us, the powerful, the power of the Holy spirit. Come on, come on, Scott. So anyway, uh, I know this um, this will chap a lot of thighs, but but the simple truth is the biggest problem in America has been the misrepresentation of the great American religious enterprise uh, in regard to what the gospel is. Uh, people have pushed away from the the vain, empty facade of the great American religious enterprise which honestly isn't appealing to anybody except a very, very arrogant, stuffy, boring person. But real people like you and I, you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, uh, sit there and, and hear somebody parrot a little Latin phrase and, and, you know, do some Hail Marys. Uh, the, the authenticity of a spiritual experience that is supernatural 
and uh, and answers all the cry of the human heart for uh, everything from from spiritual reality to to true spiritual intimacy and all those kind of things. The, the true gospel is very 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 attractive. The what has happened in America is we we don't tr preach the true gospel. Now that's been the case for many many years, Scott, but it was showcased with the COVID con. The gospel, I call it the disciples short list. Go everywhere, preach the good news of the kingdom of God, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Uh, I, I'm working on the raise the dead part, but uh, but we we got the other four down pretty well, and and we're of course we're always learning, and we're we're by no means accomplished all the way in that. But the problem is that. Most of the great American religious enterprise ignores the entire list. They don't preach the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, the, most of what happens in America is about the castle. They're trying to build a castle and be king of the castle. They're not really focusing on the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, joy, the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not even focused on that. So they're not doing the basics that Jesus taught to do. Now, that was just the first one, go everywhere and preach the good news of the kingdom. But very few churches heal the sick, even fewer cast out demons, and virtually nowhere in the West are do people raise the dead. Let me say this, Scott. When you get into uh, societies that have not been beaten down through rationalism, uh, societies like the entire continent of Africa, uh, uh, basically all of India, large, large por portions of Asia, the islands of the sea, all those places, and, and the North American Indian, all those places are places where they have a pervasive belief in the spirit realm. And because of that, they see supernatural miracles. They see them both in the kingdom of darkness, which is demonic powers, but they also see them in the kingdom of light. In the West, we've replaced spiritual reality with rationalism. And rationalism says, if I don't understand it, I don't need to believe it. And uh, by definition, a miracle is supernatural, and it cannot be explained by, uh, by the laws of physics. Thus, you have to live by faith, which is what Jesus told us. You live by faith and not by sight. But uh, it, it's very, very uncommon. And so rationalism is created what the Bible calls a brass heaven. And that's um, th that produces the, the kind of conditions we, we have here. A very, very little faith. Nobody expects to be healed. Uh, most people, even most of the clergy, either don't believe in demons or, or don't think they're something that we need to deal with. And so you wind up with a really screwed up society. Yeah, I think that's pretty evident with what we've seen around. You yeah. have done some amazing work in outreach at Glad Tidings. It's one of the things I, I talk about a great deal. And what was the most eye-opening was when you had me, um, and I was very blessed to be the, the speaker at your men's camp. These, yeah. these are guys that have literally gone to the farthest point of being lost, and you have brought them back. 
And let's just talk a little bit about that because it's profound to see these people, and 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 to the point, even it's your son-in-law, right? One of them, that <laughs> it's only God that can create a situation where somebody from his background can literally turn and just give you a hug and say, "I love you, brother. I love yeah. you, dub Jesus." Come I mean, on, that, that, that's that's just the most amazing moment ever when you start to realize how many of these people worked for the cartels. They worked. They were deep into the drug scene. Hard time. We, we're not just talking. Yeah. I think this is the thing, and I want you to highlight that. It's not just that we're talking about, now oh, I got a speeding ticket. <laughs> this, this is like yeah, right. you're in for 10 or 20 years sort of thing, right? Right. Let me tell you a story. Uh, we just finished this conference, and the last night of the conference, we were praying for people, and there was um, there was some deliverance prayer going on, and sometimes it gets a, a little rowdy. There were some ladies there, three ladies that had come from uh, Las Vegas, and uh, I, I saw, you know, they they were staring and, you know, in disbelief, like, what is going on? So I sat down by him. I said, you ever see anything like this? They said, no. I said, well, this guy is coming out of, he's done hard time. Uh, he's done time for murder one. Uh, he's part of the, the, um, uh, the cartel, you know. And so you can collect a lot of dark energy. You know, people that are uninitiated to deliverance, uh, if you talk about dark energy or dark spirits, they they usually get it, you know. So I'm just trying to help these people come into a kingdom mentality. And I said, he's got a lot of dark spirits. And those things, uh, they want to hang on to parts of his soul, like uh, hatred and rage and violence and cruelty and and so there's a conflict. And, you know, I was just kind of mentoring them. And, um, you know, Scott, at, at the uh, front of uh, the meeting places, whether it's at the men's camp or in what we call the well or in what we call the theater, when we have a public meeting, we always have the elements that Jesus talked about. It's referred to the Lord's t- as the Lord's table, but it's it's bread and juice, right? And, and those are just to remind us uh, of, the fact that Christ in his sacrifice for us, uh, he did everything necessary to bring complete healing to our physical bodies and complete sanctification to our souls. The bread represents healing to the physical body. The juice represents sanctification of the soul. And so we always have those available. But, but as these women were watching this deliverance go on, I said, Hey, um, let me tell you what happened right behind them at this um, at that uh, that communion table, and uh, I said a while back, a few years ago, we had a young man that we took in off the streets. He was living with us, and he was he was coming out of extreme violence, and uh, we were we call it loving the hell out of people, right? They got all kind of problems. But if you tell people like, we don't serve your kind here, go away, get your act together and come back later, uh, they, you, you'll never see them again. And, and, um, and it defeats the whole call of the gospel. We're supposed to be there with the love and mercy and forgiveness of God and help them uh, come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So this boy had all kinds of problems. I know most uh, most people that I know would have never taken them into the house. Certainly very few 
pastors that I know. But anyway, we brought him in. He was still gang banging pretty hard. He was a regiment commander uh, for a dropout gang. And he, he was, he was a shot caller, right? So he's the guy that says, break his legs, you know, um, uh, whatever, uh, shoot him, beat him up, blah, blah, blah. He, he called the shots for what the gang was going to do. Well, we had another guy that came out of the Mexican mafia as a gun runner for the Mexican mafia. He came through one of our drug rehabs, changed his life, wind up marrying my niece. And so now uh, he's in our family, married to my niece. And this, this other gangbanger is, is living in our front room. And, and he's a long way from being sanctified, Scott. I mean, this guy is, we were saying, these were our house rules. Like, uh, don't bring drugs into this house. Uh, don't come into this house with an illegal firearm. But, you know, he was just like on the ragged edge. And so anyway, we were trying to help him. Well, uh, so one's name's uh, Primo, one's name's Shorty. But anyway, uh, Primo comes up and says, hey, uh, Dad, I got a problem. Uh, Shorty ordered a hit on my nephew, and I'm going to have to take him out. And I said, hey, uh, Primo, you left that life behind. He said, yeah, but it's my nephew. And I said, Primo, uh, you, you can't go back into knocking people off and, and just say, um, I'm not going to be a Christian f for a while because I have to go on the other side of town and kill somebody. I said, that's not okay. So anyway, we're going back and forth on this stuff. And he says, oh, Dad, you don't understand. Blood in, blood out. I, I can't. Uh, I got to do this for my nephew's sake, blah, blah, blah. I was really praying for him. And that's life at Glad Tidings. It's not like, uh, you know, there's churches filled with things that are really, they don't even qualify for real human problems. People are fussing about, um, you know, wanting to raise or, or their kid has acne or something, right? But, but we're dealing with people that are, you know, they're in the jaws of hell and, and so I prayed with him. I said, don't you do that? And I didn't know what was going to happen. He, he left. Uh, this other guy, uh, I talked to him and I said, uh, you know, I, I heard you you uh, ordered a hit on. He, he said, ah, you know, don't believe everything you hear. But I knew he had done it. And I, I said, Shorty, you need to repent. You need to ask God for mercy. Anyway, God touched his heart and they both came together on on a Saturday night at Glad Tidings, right in the middle of this whole mess. And I'm trying to get them both to repent, you know, of, of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed. So anyway, the one of them that had ordered the hit, he goes to the front and he's at the communion table asking God to forgive him. And that really is what the gospel is all about, Scott, right there. Uh, and, and honestly, though people don't like to admit it, we're all on equal, uh, it's an equal playing field there. At the foot of the cross, we're all at the same level. We're sinners who need a Savior to forgive us. So he was down there, and he was sincerely saying, God, I'm, I'm sorry I did this. And, and I was just watching him and thinking about going out and praying with him. Here come this other gangbanger that was going to kill him, right? 
And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, Jesus, help, not not in church. I thought we were going to have a shootout right there at the communion table. And he walked up, and when they looked at each other, they're both looking at each other's hands to see if anybody has a gun or a knife, right? And the one said to the other, hey, I know about the, the hit you ordered on my nephew. And I was really sad to hear that. But I came out of gang life too. And I've ordered hits and I've killed people. And so really, though I was really mad at you, I understand that we're both sinners and we both need God. And I just want you to know I forgive you, brother. And and they hugged each other. And th these are these are tough guys, Scott. They're hugging each other, crying, tears of forgiveness. And they take communion together. And I told Cheryl, I said, that's the real power of the gospel. It's, it's not about just humming kumbaya behind stained glass. It, that's the real deal. Uh, life and death situations where hell is raging in people's lives. They get a hold of a power greater than hatred and vengeance and violence. And and uh, anyway, I've got a picture of them hugging each other. It's one of my favorite pictures because that's the power of the gospel. And uh, sadly, Scott, uh, most, most churches will never experience a wonderful miracle like that because they don't even want those kind of people around their meetings. It's like you stay away, you got problems and if you can get your life together and and uh, turn everything around, then maybe you can come and, and sing songs with us once a week. But anyway, uh, Glad Tidings is more like a, a rescue station right on the border of hell. <laughs> and we're, we're just, we're just catching people just before they slip into the jaws of hell. And, and uh, it's pretty fulfilling. And that's what, I think what you were commenting on, because that men's camp was filled with those kind of guys. That was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And actually, I'm super excited for a lot of the guys to meet people like Joe Vega. Yeah, yeah, I'm anxious for Because so much of what I talked about there was, those are my friends, and they're, they yeah. come from a world where your your folks are are exactly who they love to work with. I mean, it's just that way, That's right? awesome. It's going to be really awesome. amazing. I wanted you to talk a little bit as we kind of close this down into the spirit of the warrior Christ. I, one of the things that uh, drives me nuts, and, and it's you call it the great American religious enterprise, which I think is dead on. I, one of the things that drives me crazy is this with this betrayal of Christ as a dirty, smelly hippie and some sort of like love is everything and peace at any cost. And that is not the Savior that I know. I, it's yeah. just, that's not the Jesus that I know that I've actually had an encounter with to go, yeah, that's not it. So... I want you to yeah. talk about that a little bit. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I am convinced that the, uh, the greatest discredit that the gospel has received has been at the hands of the church. And I don't mean by that the, the people that uh, in whose life Christ is Lord and that the people that he prophesied over, I'll build my church, the gates fell will not prevail. I'm talking about the great American religious enterprise, which sadly is viewed by millions as the church. This is what the church of Christ looks like. So anyway, uh, I, I think that, uh, I think the uh, caricature of a limp-wristed, two-bit, half-horse, 
you know, weeny waste, um, uh, effeminate savior, uh, turns away men like you and I, who, who, who wants to follow somebody like that? And I'll tell you who doesn't is rough hewn fisherman like Peter. If Jesus was a limp wristed wuss, Peter would have never followed him. Uh, and, and so you see the portrayal of God as a warrior in the Bible. And then there's been this, I call it the wussification of Christianity, largely, largely through the Catholic church, though not exclusively. And there's this idea, like you mentioned, that Jesus is limp-wristed, doesn't really have an opinion, doesn't want to offend anybody, and we should be like that. But, um, but the, the opposite is true if you read Scripture. The first worship song recorded in the entire Bible is in Exodus, Exodus 15, the first worship song. And it's uh, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He has destroyed his enemies in the sea. And um, so the, the Bible really is a book that is supposed to teach us about and guide us in spiritual warfare in this conflict that is raging between the high heaven, the third heaven, and and the uh, denizens of the second heaven and, and uh, the fallen ones. And, and of course, earth is the prize. And so there's this extreme warfare going on. But, you know, um, years ago, I met a guy that was uh, Punjabi from the, the central region in India, which is the Punjab. And I had studied some because we have 26,000 Punjabis in our area. So I, I checked out the religion a bit. And, and I found out that they broke away from Islam because of the idea of um, of um, what's of jihad, basically, is what it is. But there's another term they use sometimes. But the idea of jihad, and that's that we're going to conquer you, and if you're uh, uh, not one of us, you'll either be our slave or we'll behead you. So the the Punjabis, they're a farming community, and they're a lot of good people, they, they just thought, we don't want to be a part of that. So they formed their own religion. Now, that was my backdrop. I was trying to lead this guy to Christ. And I knew that at the, the very uh, root of the foundation of their religion, that they were pushing back against being violent. So there's so much violence in the Bible, uh, good versus evil, right? But it's violent. I mean, David, he didn't just... Uh, knock a giant out he went over and cut the dude's head off and uh right it's it's intense all of the bible is intense god is intense right uh and so but that's not the view you get in the west and so i was i was trying to lead this guy into an understanding of god and and help negotiate him around what might be mental roadblocks and so anyway he wanted to read the bible and I tried to move him towards some of the gentle, more gentle passages in the Bible. He says, no, no, I want to read the whole Bible from the first word to the last word. He read it all, and then he wanted to talk about it. And I met him at a park. He had the Bible I gave him. He slammed it on the table. He says, this book is a book of war, and your God is the God of war. And, 
and I was I was trying to say, well, he's up there, you know. Uh, I said, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he said, I know. I read the whole book. <laughs> this is so great, Scott. He said, I know. I read the whole book. But he makes peace by destroying his enemies. He says he, he just he's a conquering king. He gives people a chance to surrender to him. And if they don't, he destroys them. And so I was thinking, well, point point well taken. He is God. He comes to judge the earth. So I thought, well, you know, uh, you win some, you lose some. This guy's not a taker today. And just like this, he said, so how do I become a Christian? I said, what? He said, how do I become a Christian? I want to be a Christian. I said, you do. He said, of course. He said, I don't want to be destroyed by God. He says he, he he gives me a chance to be part of his kingdom. How do I do that? I would like to do that. <laughs> so you know, I I led him, I led him to Christ. I led him in a prayer of devotion to Christ. But I thought it was quite interesting, Scott, that somebody that knew nothing about Christianity, by reading every word in the Bible, his conclusion is this is a book of war, and your God is a God of war. And I thought, wow. You know, we probably need to to let him speak some in these churches that are afraid of offending anybody. They won't take a stand on abortion. They won't take a stand on the COVID con. They won't take a stand on transgender. They just won't take a stand on anything because they're afraid they'll offend somebody or they've just they've been completely wussified and um, and they misrepresent God. And because of that, most of those churches you're not going to find a, a red-blooded uh, man's man in, in any of those churches. They, they won't go to them. They yeah. just think, you know, if I go to that church, people will assume I'm gay. I don't want to do that. And so, uh, but I just had this this talk with um, Scott, uh, uh, excuse me, with um, Greg Phillips. And uh, he said, I think there are millions of militant, I mean that in a good sense. And, and and if our society was so screwed up, I wouldn't have had to stop right there and say, I mean that in a good sense. But our society is so screwed up that if you say militant uh, or, you know, if, if you start talking about warrior crisis, like, oh, you know, um, you're going to offend somebody. We, we don't want the people to think that about us and, and that attitude, of course, causes them to roll over and to give up and to give in and to be complicit in all of this stuff that's happening in society. But the, the simple truth is God is a God of war. Uh, he is the commander of the hosts of heaven. That's the name most often used about of God, is the, the commander of the heavenly host. And um, he, he's uh, warlike. Now, he's just, he's merciful, he's loving uh, and forgiving. But there's another side to him. You know, the Bible says uh, that righteousness and peace have kissed each other in God. And uh, th there's a, a unity between the, um, uh, the, the gentle and the aggressive elements of God's nature and he holds all those in perfect balance and so he says uh, to the humble uh, to the meek I, I'll show myself as meek and, and to the froward 
I'll show myself for a sprower. What what's he saying? Sprower is like belligerent and pushy. So you want to get pushy? I'll push back. Don't do that with me. And and we've lost that. And because of that, Scott, I'm convinced that that uh, almost all of the heroes of scripture that we talk about would not be welcome in the great American religious enterprise. I don't think King David would be welcome. I, I don't think uh, that Elijah would be welcome. I don't think that Isaiah would be welcome. John the Baptist wouldn't be welcome because they're, they're a rough cut of people that understood the warrior nature of, of God and the quest of this, this holy God to subdue every enemy of unrighteousness. And we got to get back to that. We got to get that message out. We will never overcome evil with this two-bit, half-horse, mealy-mouth, limp-wristed view of Christianity. Uh, but the Bible says, do not be overcome by evil. Instead, you overcome evil by good. That, that's as anointed as John 3.16. There are lots of other verses like that. Resist the devil. Um, and have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them, right? There's a lot of aggressive verses in the Bible. And um, the, the fact that the, the uh, religious organization in the West has not been willing to deal with them has gotten us into this mess that we're in, Scott. And it's the warrior nature of Christ that will get us out of this mess. A hundred percent. That is so dead on. And it's just... Why I love you so much because you're right in there. <laughs> All right. So we have Bards Fest coming up. It's going to be the 7th to the 10th. You're going to be one of the speakers, regular speakers there, of course. Anxious to I'm have looking people. Looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. We always close with a prayer, and I would like you to do the prayer today. Okay. Father, I thank you for your love and mercy and grace. I thank you that you are always the victor. You've never lost a battle. You won't lose the battle for the, the hearts of men and for the planet. You will redeem the planet. And I thank you for that. Thank you that we can be part of your uh, overcoming host. And thank you, Lord, uh, for the, the uh, victorious nature of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you for Scott Kesterson. I thank you for raising up uh, uh, bards of war uh, like Scott to, to bring the message of um, a, a triumphant Christ to a people who are really, uh, in many ways, they've lost hope uh, because of this pathetic and weak gospel that's been preached. But we thank you, Lord, that you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Uh, you are uh, the overcomer. And we thank you for that overcoming nature that you give to us and for that victorious spirit that you put within us. I uh, thank you for Scott Kesterson. I thank you for his friendship. I thank you for Bards FM and, and his influence and all the people that he's impacting. And Lord, we, we do pray together. I agree with, with Scott that this coming Bards Fest would, would be a demonstration of your glory, of your power, that people would be set free. Uh, Lord, we, we pray it would not just be another gathering, but that it, there would be a profound impartation of the life of God into the souls of men. And we believe you for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Dave, this is awesome. Looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get the chance to see you tomorrow, which is going to be awesome. 
I'll look forward to that, my friend. That'll be great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, just it's a blessing always to talk to you. Your inspiration you always give me that little extra zing of energy, which takes me on, yeah. which is good. Yeah, which is good. That makes me happy. That's great. Well, say hello to Cheryl, and uh, I will. And blessings to you and both. I'll, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. All right, sounds good. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Okay, okay bye. Bye bye. Well, Patriots, that was Pastor Dave Bryan. You just got introduced to the man who leads probably one of the most unique church experiences you will ever witness in a good way. This is truly an ecclesia where the majority of their effort doesn't even happen on the weekends. It happens during the week with all their ministry outreach, their amazing things of bringing people back and to be reclaimed by Christ. It, they are an amazing institution for deliverance work and for healing and prayer. And they, he truly, as he said, seek out the red letters, and that's how they follow their ministry, and it's powerful. So that's why Bards Fest is there. I think you're beginning to understand. Encourage everybody to be there. Remember, it, it will be live-streamed, and we'll talk more about that tonight on Fishers. It will be live-streamed. So don't worry if you can't if you can't make it and your heart's there, you're still going to be able to participate. But obviously want as many bodies there as possible. It will be great. So Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. 
not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight push, we climb, we never give in, we become the nightmare that evil didn't know exist, we pray, we stand, we live by the words in God we trust, we fear nothing, we are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. <laughs> 